You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. How will I know if he really loves me? That's what Whitney Houston once sang. But look, how are you and I going to know if they really love college football? From conference commissioners to even your own family. We're talking about all that in the Late Kick Extra podcast this morning. I'm Josh Pate. Man, this thing's growing rapidly. Appreciate it to all of you guys. Made a lot of announcements on the Sunday night Late Kick Live edition. I would highly recommend you guys go back and check that one out if you haven't already. But as for this morning, we've got a full mailbag, jam-packed even, if you want to get in touch with the show, at Late Kick Josh Twitter, at Late Kick Josh Instagram, we waste no more time. First question this morning, Dustin said, can we address the college football myth that Clemson would not be considered elite if they played in the SEC? Oh boy. He continues, there's a better argument that Clemson as a program will actually improve with increased revenue playing in the best conference from Naples, Florida. That's where Dustin resides. Dustin is telling you, while a lot of folks think that Clemson would just get chewed up by the SEC, he actually believes they would benefit from increased revenue and the, the basic treasure trove that a lot of SEC programs get to draw from. And I think there are, there are arguments to be made both ways. This is not a debate that gets settled to me, but I've always sort of probably 60-40 leaned Dustin's way. Now, if you wanted to counter me, I've watched, just like you have, Clemson benefit from playing a soft schedule. And when I say benefit, I mean getting to the championship game maybe healthier than some other teams or you know, being able to play close games against inferior competition, bring their B- minus or C-plus game, for example, on a Saturday. And because they're playing a lesser opponent, they're able to skate by with a closer win. Yeah, you could say all that. But you know what else I could say? And I realized this a few years ago. I realized that Clemson actually does not get battle-tested like some of the teams they face in postseason play when they make the playoff or national championship game. And that's not always a benefit. The great misconception, if you want to call it that, around Clemson has been that they get to skate through all of these, what you would call glorified high school teams. I have a little more respect than that. Another commenter said that. That's why I use that language. But they get to skate through this easier schedule, and then they're just all primed up for the title game if and when they get there. But... You can't have it both ways. You can't brag about how the SEC is a gauntlet and you get battle tested for having gone through that, which I believe, but also say that Clemson benefits from not going through it. So the only benefit I think they've had is they don't get as banged up. Because to me, like when I watch those teams that are able to make it through the SEC, I think they're all the better for it on the back end. Which leads me to my next point. And what the most impressive thing that Dabo Swinney ever did was Dabo Swinney found a way two times to make it through the ACC schedule when it really wasn't anything to write home about and somehow still had his team ready, just, just mentally ready. Uh, even though they weren't battle-tested by the schedule, he still had them playing at such a high level that they were able to trade punches with Alabama a couple of times. And they were able to do that even in 2015 when they narrowly lost the game. That, to me, is impressive because they hadn't been tested like that. Bama had had three or four knife fights already. They had not been tested like that. So while, yeah, it is true 
they don't run as high a risk in injury in the ACC, and that does matter. It's very important. I've not always believed that playing the soft schedule is the benefit uh, that some others believe it is. Now, again, that's kind of a differing opinion thing. It's not like there's a, a definitive yes or no on that. But I've also heard Dabo Swinney talk about it before. I don't think Dabo Swinney particularly enjoys being favored by three or four touchdowns multiple times a year in conference play. I think that he is a competitor and really, truth be told, he would love to see the rest of the ACC raise its collective game, but he can't do it for him. They can't do it for him. So yeah, Clemson, I kind of side with you there. I I think Clemson probably would net benefit more from going to the SEC than they would hurt going to the SEC. It'd It'd be an adjustment. Now, that's no lie but I think they would benefit. So I agree with that. Next up, uh, a question that is on pretty much everyone's mind. So we could have chosen a million, but why not go with our buddy Chris? Chris asks, do we really believe these reports that the SEC cares about college football and wants to stop their expansion at 16 teams? All right, let's breathe deep and let's um, try and responsibly talk about this. So around this time last year, as it turns out, about a year removed from it now, you had the big breaking news, OU Texas headed to the SEC. It happened right in the middle of SEC media days, uh, one of the biggest stories that I can remember in the last decade plus of college football. And there was a big fear that gripped the sport and gripped a lot of fans. And I was wrapped up in it, too, because I wasn't particularly crazy about the notion of a lot of the power teams being consolidated into one or two conferences, that's my personal preference. And so I remember at the time, one of the big talking points was, oh, the SEC is not going to stop there, right? They're going to go 18 or 20 or 24, maybe some people even thought a 30-team Super League, and they'll just create their own playoff, and they'll, they'll be their own universe. They'll detach from the rest of us, and they'll just be their own universe. And I never bought into that. I also was sort of in the middle a little bit because I didn't also know if they were done expanding. To me, where the SEC stood after making that move is the same place they stand right now. I think Greg Sankey and the SEC university presidents, namely, knew that once they expanded, the Big Ten was going to answer. You know why? Because the Big Ten has the power to answer. The Big Ten's the only conference out there, and I think we all know this by now, that had the power to go out and get a USC or UCLA and just grab the LA market. But now both of them, as Chris said, are at 16. At least in the future, they will be at 16. Do we think they're stopping there? Because as Chris mentioned, there have been reports that the SEC and the Big Ten, for that matter, are perfectly willing to just stay put. I would have said stand pat. I've never really known what that means. We we got a pat working down the hallway here, but does he stand a lot? No, he's a sitter more than a stander. People choose to work in their cubicles different ways. But I, I kind of believe that if neither one of them makes another move, I think both of them are happy to stay at 16. With the caveat, and I want to be clear about this, that Notre Dame could change everything. So if Notre Dame were to decide tomorrow that they wanted to join either of them, probably be the Big Ten, but if they wanted to join either of them, then yes, there would probably be a counter move from the SEC. But if that doesn't happen, then think about this with me for a second. The SEC, I think, would be the last one to just want to preemptively at this point make more moves and I'll tell you why that would force Notre Dame into the Big Ten probably would force Notre Dame into the Big Ten the SEC has no interest in that you think Greg Sankey and the SEC want to see the Big Ten get Notre Dame of course they don't so why would they make moves now when they're perfectly fine at 16 that would force that move I don't think they'll do that I don't think they want to do that 
Could be wrong, could be other factors in play. I don't think they want to do that. But here's the more overarching issue. I actually believe these guys when they do say they care about the best interest of the sport long term. That's where I think a lot of us differ. I think some of you, rightfully so, have become jaded at the overall direction of the sport because you've looked at some of the decision making and now you've looked at it in a linear fashion and you say, okay, here, 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 every step of the way, these decisions being made scream one thing, greed, money hungry, couldn't care less about the tradition, we'll throw it in the wood chipper if it means that we advance financially. And I get that. What I would counter with is what if there is um, sort of a happy medium here where there are two, I guess you could call them truths that converge. One of the truths is they do care about college football. The other truth is there were some inevitabilities coming. And I think COVID kind of put this in fast forward, but I think it was already going to come. But a lot of programs realize long term, we're going to make a move. The sport is going to shift. It's inevitable. Uh, NIL, COVID, the portal, like a lot of things have happened over the past 12, 24, 36 months, if you will. I think a lot of them realized if it's going to happen eventually, why not just have it happen immediately? And so there were a certain amount of moves that were going to be made, so they just got made. What if we've seen a majority of the moves get made? You know, I'm kind of wish casting here, as they would say in meteorology, but what if we've seen a majority of the moves made? And what if, just what if the power players are sitting around the table right now saying, are you good? Because, I mean, if you're good, I'm good now. We, we don't want to burn the entire sport to the ground because of the whole Mansion City metaphor that we use on Late Kick a lot. The Mansion City metaphor is just that, that it doesn't matter if you build the greatest mansion in the city. If the rest of the city burns down around the mansion, the mansion doesn't have any property value because it's in a terrible city that no one wants to move to. There are no resources, no civil services, etc. College football is the same way. And I, I don't think Greg Sankey's an idiot. I don't think that Jim Delaney, well, say Jim Delaney, it's Kevin Warren listed as the Big Ten commissioner. I just think a lot more players are in the room there in the Big Ten. I don't think those guys are idiots. And I don't think they look around and say, who cares if the Pac-12 or the ACC exist? It's all about us. That's just, I think it's a short-sighted way to look at things. If you and I were playing Monopoly, yes, that's how I would play against you. I want you to lose. I want to bankrupt you. I do not think Greg Sankey, I do not think Kevin Warren, I do not think television networks want to bankrupt other conferences. Because like I said, it does not matter how big they build their mansions. If it coincides with burning down the city, in which the mansion is placed, then the mansion's not worth anything anymore. If college football conferences build themselves up, but they're existing on a foundation of college football overall, but then the foundation starts to erode, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because those, those television networks are not getting return on their investment because you've had a critical mass of people leave the sport because what they grew up on is no longer there. So they can't afford that. So yes, I do, Chris, believe that when people tell you via reports that they're happy at 16, I do believe that. Doesn't mean that there couldn't be other moves. I just think that means if they had their way, there wouldn't be other moves. Next up, interesting question coming up. Interesting question here from David. David asks, what makes a great college town? How would you design the town around Pate State? Well, that's a very good way to word the follow-up there. How would you design the town around Pate State? To me, what makes a great college town is I ask myself a few questions. First question, is the university the heartbeat of the town? If you took the university out of the town, would the town cease to exist? 
Auburn, Alabama wouldn't be there if it weren't for Auburn University. Athens, Georgia is not there if it's not for the University of Georgia. But Columbia, South Carolina is there even if you remove the University of South Carolina. It wouldn't be the same town. I got, I got you on that part. But, but Baton Rouge, Louisiana would be there if it weren't for LSU. That's why I view Athens and Auburn as more college towns than, say, Columbia or Baton Rouge. Uh, Columbus, Ohio is still there, even if Ohio State is not, although Columbus, Ohio is made all the better because of Ohio, of Ohio State. So, or excuse me, the Ohio State. Shame on me. So the first thing is, yes, the university has to be the heartbeat. It has to be what the rest of the town just kind of orbits around. Secondly, when I walk down the street, how informed is the average citizen in that town on the inner workings of the university, athletically and otherwise? How much can they tell you about the school? Because if I walk down the street, for example, in those college towns, I'm mentioning ones in the South because I grew up in the South. If I walk down the street, if I go to Toomer's Corner in, in Auburn, Alabama, everybody there knows things about Auburn. Even if they didn't go there, they're not employed there. Even if they just work at a gas station there, if they work at a shell station on the corner of College and Magnolia, they will still know things about Auburn because you can't live in Auburn, Alabama and not know about Auburn. But if you live in Austin, Texas, you could, you could live there and not really care at all about the University of Texas. just happens to be where you reside. The third thing is, do people nationally correlate the town with the university? So this, this is probably the best test, to be honest with you. If I were to ask someone in Charlotte, North Carolina, they have to be college fans, I guess, but what do you think when you think Lincoln, Nebraska? They're going to say, oh, that's where the University of Nebraska is. But if I ask someone in Charlotte about Los Angeles, they won't mention USC or UCLA in their top 10 list of feedback of, of impressions they have about LA. So I want the reputation nationally of the town to be centered around the university. I want the town itself to be centered around the university. And then certainly the average citizen there, it has to be so ingrained in the DNA and the culture that even the average citizen, no matter if they're connected to the university or not, feel connected to the university. That is what makes a college town. And that's why I don't like neutral site games with very few exceptions, because I like going to college towns in the fall. And I also think that it's something unique we have. Everybody can have a stadium in a big city. Every big city has big stadiums. Every big city has pro sports teams. But, you know, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Bama's what they got. In Knoxville, Tennessee, Tennessee football's what they got. That is a good thing. That's a unique thing to our sport. It's why you should never be leaving campuses to go play football games. This is not Major League Baseball. They don't give you 162 of them a year. You don't get 81 home games a year. You get seven, maybe eight, if you schedule really aggressively. So have them on campus, especially if you're in a college town. Next up, this is kind of another, it's kind of another question that's off the field, but boy, it resonates. I bet it resonates with all of you. Blake asked, what would you suggest to the listeners to say to their family members to help them understand why they'd want to watch more games than those that just include their teams. Now, this is foreign language to some of you, but to others out there, I bet there's someone driving around right now in Dayton, Ohio, that just slammed on the brakes, pulled over to the side of the road and said, is he talking to me? D does, that, does that listener know me? Now, some of you have dealt with this before. And those of you who haven't dealt with it, here's what it looks like. You may have an uncle, 
or a dad or a cousin or a brother or a friend even who is, let's say they're a Cincinnati fan, but they only want to watch Cincinnati games. They don't care about the rest of the sport. OU in Texas playing earlier that day, don't care. USC Notre Dame playing later that night, do not care. Oregon versus Washington, never heard of her. They just want to watch Cincinnati. And you sit there incredulous and you're saying, fool, this is the greatest sport on earth. How could you not want to watch all of it? Some people just have their taste. Now, I think this is more prevalent in pro sports. Like, I'm a Braves fan. I don't watch a whole lot of non-Braves related Major League Baseball. But in college sports, even if it's basketball, man, I, I'm watching the whole sport. Certainly in college football, it's not just because they pay me to do it, because I watched all of the sport long before they paid me to do it. That's not a job. Uh, you guys do the same thing I do. I, and I know 99% of you who are listening to this podcast don't have this issue, but some of you have the issue within your social circle or family circle. So here's what I would tell them, and I'm just going to make this up. Let's just say your dad only wants to watch his team, and then there's nothing else out there as far as he's concerned. The way I had to explain it one time and the way I would explain it to dad is if you live in the greatest city in the country when it comes to the culinary scene. Now, I got into it with Lance here. I mean, I trolled him as hard as any human's ever been trolled the other night about the culinary scene in New York City. We were in L.A. last week, two weeks ago. Uh, great food, some of the greatest food I've ever eaten. If you live in a huge city that has all the options, why would you just go to the same restaurant every day? Why would you do that to yourself? I'm not saying the restaurant's not good. In fact, maybe you're going to the best restaurant in town. But why would you only limit yourself to that restaurant? If we would have just gone and eaten sushi out in L.A., it would have been great. And trust me, yours truly, I wear the same shirt every day. You don't think I could eat the same food every day? Absolutely I could. But even I throw on a different color shirt every now and then. Even I order from a different place every now and then. Just because why would you want to limit yourself when there are other great options? This is not Cheesecake Factory. I go there, I want the cheesecake. They got a good menu, but I want the cheesecake. There is a sole purpose for why people go there. It's literally written on the billboard, on the marquee out front. But if you live in an entire city, and you have an entire city's worth of food options to choose from, how would you limit yourself? And the second thing is, you could entice them with non-football-related activity. You could say, Dad, do you like money? Money? Does that interest you, Dad? Um, He'll probably say yes, spoiler alert. You can say, you know, you can bet on all these games. You don't just have to bet on Cincinnati. You can bet on all these games. I don't think it should ever resort to that personally. Uh, it should have gotten them on board when you just gave the food metaphor. But here's the third one. If you really want to tuck at that heartstring, here's the third one. College football is the best melting pot culturally that we have. And I dare you to find me another one. Th this, this country, like our society, you could find division all over the place. Have you walked into a college stadium? Have you walked into a college bar? Have you walked into an environment where they're watching college football? Do yourself a favor. Actually, don't do this at all, but pretend you're doing this. If you were to go around that room and ask people their food preferences, their political preferences, their musical tastes, you would find the most diverse group of people on planet Earth watching college football. Because it's not just in the South, it's not just in the North, it's everywhere. It may be bigger in some places than others. But I, I can attest to this because I witness it every week. You should see my inbox. Like my inbox is the greatest melting pot of people because they watch the greatest sport, which is the greatest melting pot in our society. 
on the face of the earth, not just our society. I think on the face of the earth, you don't get a better collection of people. So you dip your spoon into the college football cereal bowl, you pull everything out. Everything imaginable comes out. And that's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. It's, it's, it's so eclectic. Like there is nothing you can't have. I don't know how you can hate that. The only thing that you could hate about that is this comes after it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. That was Sting from the rafters, as Director Colin just told me over the PA. No one in the control room saw the ad toss coming, so I know you didn't. Let's move on. You've been victimized. You're welcome. Let's move on. Next up, Chris. Chris said, do you like, actually, he didn't say, do you like at all. Chris said, do you, you know what, Chris didn't say that either. We're not stopping either. We're just going to roll with this. Chris said, why do you think people want Oklahoma to fall off so badly? I've heard plenty of people say they'll never be the same after Lincoln Riley, even though they had plenty of success before him. Is it jealousy, perhaps, or something else? Is something else afoot? Chris didn't say afoot. I just wanted to fit it into the question there. Um, is that hate? Is that disrespect? Like, it, I think it's reasonable to have watched Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. I know everyone's hot one way or the other about him right now, but I, can you not at least imagine that? that a, an unbiased, just neutral observer, let's say a Michigan State fan, is it hard to believe a Michigan State fan could look at Oklahoma and the success they had under Riley, and he leaves, and they didn't want him to leave, and now they're getting a guy who's never been a head coach in a football game before. Is it not reasonable that that person could maybe expect them to fall off? That doesn't mean they have to. And it doesn't really mean the Michigan State fan would be upset if they got proven wrong. I think it's reasonable to have some people expect that, though. So I don't think it's hate. I don't think people are rooting for Oklahoma to fall off. Your rivals are. Yeah, certainly. But nationally, I can tell you that if you were to sample size the college football public, most people were kind of empathetic to Oklahoma on that whole deal. They viewed Oklahoma as being left out in the cold, and they viewed Lincoln Riley as running off to the West Coast and whatever, whatever, whatever. So. I don't think anyone was left with a bitter taste in their mouth about the Oklahoma program that didn't already have it before. And I also don't think anyone's looking at them rooting for them to fail. Quite the opposite, actually. Oklahoma, am I, I think I'm right on this. Oklahoma seems to be one of the more approved of programs, I guess for lack of a better term, in the country. Their, their Q score, as we would say in media, I think Oklahoma's Q score is pretty high. And when I say that, I don't mean everyone's rooting for them. I just don't, I don't walk around every street corner in Nashville or back home in Georgia 
and hear someone say, hey, Josh, how you doing? Boy, I hope Oklahoma bites it this year. Dude, I hope they fall off a cliff. Can't stand the Sooners. Why? I don't know, man. It's just ingrained in me. I was born with it. I don't really, I don't get that for many people. They say it about Texas. They say it about Bama. They say it about Ohio State, Notre Dame. They don't, I don't think they say that about Oklahoma. So, you know, I've, I've lived in a couple of different areas of the country. I've never gathered that sentiment. I don't gather that sentiment now. And I, I deal with people all over the country regularly. I hear from fans all over the country. I think there is a healthy amount of skepticism, which is different than disrespect or doubt. I think there may be some skepticism of people wondering whether Brent Venables, a longtime coordinator, is going to come in and just seamlessly carry on at the same rate, winning rate, that Lincoln Riley was. But that's natural. You, if you were not an Oklahoma fan, like, for instance, when, when Nick Saban leaves Alabama, I don't even care who the replacement is, it could be Brent Venables. You, you would look at that and you would say, dude, they're going to fall off. Well, yeah, they're losing the best of all time. I'm not equating Riley to Saban. I'm just making a point. Would you be hating Alabama when you said that? Or would you just be being honest with yourself? I think the latter is true there. So I don't really look at it as hate. I don't see it that way. Nor do I see it as disrespect. I think Oklahoma is very respected as a program. I just think there's healthy skepticism. It, there may be some fans in Oklahoma circles who are rooting for Brent Venables. They love the dude. But even you're looking at him saying, all right, now he's got to prove it. Obviously, he's got to prove it. That's fair. I think that's a, what's unfair, actually, is to heap all that expectation on him when he hasn't coached a game yet. I know that's unpopular to say. Everyone wants to win, but if we're being reasonable, keyword there, reasonable, then let's give him a little time. Next up, uh, I saw a headline last night that actually uh, perfectly coincides with this question. Michael asked, are the quality of teams' facilities as important of an asset in recruiting as they once were? Nope, I don't think they are. And what Michael's asking for is because in the NIL era now, you've heard more than a few coaches on the record, and I've had way more of them off the record, confiding in me, I, we, we probably spent way too much on facilities. It's nice to have them. It's good to show off on a recruiting trip. Lane Kiffin spoke about this recently, that you can, you can recruit a guy as good as you possibly could. You could have all the facilities. You could have the academic plan in place. But ultimately, I'm looking at one of our B-roll shots right now. Someone's got a boxing ring. That's nice. Uh, but ultimately, Lane Kiffin said, a, a school could come in that hasn't even recruited that guy. Ten minutes before his commitment, they could come in. And if they offer more money, he's going there. In the NIL, it could be legal. It's not even illegal. It's not even underhanded. And Lane Kiffin, what he's saying there is the answer to this question. If it takes money... If that's the language, just straightforward now, not indirectly, if it's just straightforward cash that's winning the recruiting battle now, why would you take that cash and invest it in physical assets like facilities, for example? No one ever built a waterfall or a boxing ring or an arcade in their facilities because they needed it. Of course, you don't need it. They put them in there to give themselves a leg up in recruiting so that when a kid goes there, and then six months later, he's comparing his experiences as it's time to commit. He remembers those few extra bells and whistles you had, and it's enough to put you over the top. That's it. But if that doesn't matter anymore, if you could just put a check in front of that player, then you no longer invest it in that stuff. You tell your boosters who are associated with your collective, guys, we don't need these nine-figure facility upgrades anymore. We need you to take those funds, and we need you to put them in this collective so that we can pull out of that collective and just give the kid the money directly. That's like if this company 
uh, wanted to offer me a trip to Lake Tahoe, I would turn it down and say, give me the cash equivalent of that trip to Lake Tahoe, and I'll just go buy supplements from Vitamin Shop or Vitamin Shoppy. They do have an E on the end of shop. So that's the way I would do that. And I think that's the way that a lot of universities moving forward are going to look at this. Now, here's the downside to that, I think. Some of these places have already been spending big on facilities year over year. So we're looking at Bama. If you're watching the individual clip on YouTube, we're looking at Bama. Uh, we looked at Oklahoma a second ago, like Tennessee recently upgraded. Oregon's always looked like a spaceship. So a lot of these places have recently upgraded. So those facilities are going to look good for a long time, even if you never touch them again. Some places like Miami, some places like Florida, they are in need of upgrade. Now, I know that process is ongoing there. I, I know they're well underway in doing that. But think about if you were already behind and now we're entering an era where you need to redirect funding. You're going to have facilities that look 30 years old 10 years from now, because they kind of will be. And you're also not directing any new funding into facility enhancements. And some of these other places, they had upgraded more recently, so their stuff's going to look new for a while. That's not a good place to be, because while facilities will not be what wins a recruiting battle, they do help, because it makes an impression on the player. Also, at some point, just the functionality of what you can do as a player, especially in recovery. The more sports science -y aspect of this, like the cryo chambers and the recovery tubs and all that stuff you have, which some places have and some places don't, that actually impacts my day-to-day -day as a player. So that stuff would matter to me. I don't care about your waterfalls. They're pretty to look at. They look good in my Instagram story. But some of the, the health and medical, that actually matters to me. So no, I don't think facilities are as important. They always will be important. But the money will forever be important. Let's talk about everyone's favorite university, the University of Texas. Rushi asked, does Texas regain confidence after Bama steamrolls them week two? Or do we see the downfall of that locker room? Well, this is a prediction there. So unless Rushi has seen the spoilers, Texas does welcome Alabama into Austin in week two. I have a sneaking suspicion that the Every Given Saturday tour will be in Austin, Texas in week two, although that is not official. But I, I, have, I have strong suspicion, and I know the guy who coordinates it, so we'll see about that. Bama's going to be favored. Their current line is 16. They're, they're currently a 16-point favorite over Texas. So yes, this is not a wild, out-on-a-limb prediction. Let's say they do win by 17 to 21 points. So let's say it's a, a 37 to... 17, 37 to 20 Alabama win. That would be right around what Vegas would expect. That would be a setback for the University of Texas. And then the great question is, I don't know. Because that is what I go back on last year in that OU Texas game. Texas gets this big lead on Oklahoma. You all remember it. We were there. You all were either there or watching the game yourself. Texas gets out to a big lead, a four score lead. I think it was. It was either a lot, it was a big lead. That's what it was. And so then OU storms all the way back. They win 55 to 48. You remember that part. But then afterwards, another loss, another loss, another loss, another loss, another loss. That loss to Oklahoma was the beginning of a one, two, three, four, five, six game losing streak. And Steve Sarkeesian since then has gone on record as saying, we, we kind of lost the team after that game. And I don't think we ever got them back. Now they weren't getting blown out. It's, it's, one, two, I mean, four of the next five losses were by one possession, it looks like. So they weren't getting blown out. They just weren't closing. Remember how many turnover issues they had and second half issues they had? 
And Sark has said, I attribute that to losing to Oklahoma and our guys not being mentally tough enough. And he's taking responsibility for it. He's not blaming the players, but that's what has to change. You know, that's one of those great year one to year two tests. It's not just assumed. It's not a birthright that once you've been at a place a year, everything magically gets better. Normally, it improves year one to year two under a quality staff, at least, because that's about how long it takes before doing the right thing starts to tangibly give results. So if Sark walked in there and he was doing all the right things, it was always going to take at least a year. If he's doing the right things, if they're handling business behind the scenes, even if Bama beats him this year, you'll see them rebound. And if they haven't done the right thing, then you'll turn on the Texas versus UTSA game the next week, and it'll be 17 to 16 early fourth quarter, and you'll be saying, what did Alabama do to Texas? There will be your answer. Here's the downfall, if this is the case. It will be a disastrous season if they're not mentally tough enough to bounce back because they still have 10 games after the Alabama game. Now, there is this other path they could take. You know they could beat Alabama. We didn't end the podcast. I'm just pausing so you can laugh. I know a lot of you. If I know you like I think I do, you're laughing right now. Uh, I just need to remind you, kids, the last time Alabama went to the state of Texas, they were favored by more than they will be in Austin. They came back toting an L. So it could happen. JP, Angels in the outfield. It could happen. Unlikely, maybe, but it could happen. And even with being a, a double-digit underdog at home, Texas over under win total is still nine. Think about it. That's pretty lofty. So I, uh, I think it's the great unknown. I think it, regardless of, if, even if they lose to Bama by three points or 30 points, how they respond there will go so far in proving whether Steve Sarkeesian's formula and his model is working in Austin. I appreciate you guys so much for being tuned in. Here's all we need, because I got one more question here, and I want to kind of dovetail it with telling you what we need. Alex asked the question, would you peel back the curtain and explain some more of the benefits of owning Late Kick? We're excited to see where the show goes from here. I'd love to hear about what you're now able to do without having to get approval or cutting red tape. Alex is from Snellville, Georgia, by the way. Uh, so the appreciation is because we're able to do this because of you. The other night, as I said, we made a lot of big announcements on Lake Kick, and one of them is this podcast feed you're listening to this show in right now, it's ours now. That wasn't the case a month ago. The YouTube channel, it's ours now. That wasn't the case a month ago. I mean, the name of the whole thing literally changed to Lake Kick from 24-7. The benefit there is that 10 years from now, no matter where I am, I don't know who my employer will be 10 years from now or five years from now, that channel will be with us. That's the benefit. Doesn't matter where we go. Podcast feed, no matter where we go. And that is worth its weight in whatever's more valuable than gold these days. It's worth its weight in that thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the minute that we got that approval, we were free to do things like, for example, open the merchandising line which we will have this Friday. I mean, we've had a million ideas. Everything from late get gear to paid state gear, probably more than a million ideas. We can hit go on that this Friday, and we will. So look out for that link to the store starting this Friday. So a whole lot goes into that. It's boring. I'm not going to bore you with it. But just know it's because of you. So the only favor we need is for you to keep doing what you're doing. There's nothing new. Subscribe if you haven't already. More than 50% of our listeners and viewers are not subscribed to this pod feed and to the YouTube channel. It's free. 
And all it does is help us do what we've been doing and will continue to do. So subscribe, that's free, and share the videos, share the podcast, share it with your friends, family. When college football comes up in a conversation, you mention this show. You are our marketing team. We have still never spent a dime marketing the show, and yet we're out there and able to scale it the way we have been because of you. I'm not messing around when I tell you thank you five times every show. That's it. You, you are the envy of the rest of our industry. Plus, there are other places out there paying millions of dollars to get what we have for free because what we have is you guys. We got us. And us, as it turns out, really is all we need. So thank you guys so much for that. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire crew here, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 